Welcome back. You are listening to Nate the Hate on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Be sure to like the video and subscribe to the channel if you have not already. And I'd like to welcome in my co-host, Modern Vintage Gamer. Nate, it's great to be here. It's been, been a few weeks since we've been on, but I'm glad we're uh, we're back together and uh, doing an episode. We are. It has been a little while. Last episode was about the Nintendo Direct, and this week... We had some information about an upcoming Xbox Direct, though that will be coming in June. And before we start today's episode, we have to give a special dedication to Shamsa, whom generously donated a substantial amount of money to support the channel in celebration of our milestone earlier in February of 20,000 subscribers. So thank you for your continued support and generosity, Shamsa. And if you'd like to support the channel, we have a Streamlabs link in the description below. Donate any dollar amount, ask a question, and we will answer the question at the end of the episode. Donate $100 or more, and we will dedicate the episode to you. And once again, today's episode is dedicated to Shamsa. And with that, we go into today's topic, which is Microsoft has officially announced that they are going to have an Xbox showcase on June 11th, which is a Sunday. And following the main showcase, they will have a Starfield dedicated direct where we will get a deep dive into Bethesda's upcoming RPG. But the real news was that Microsoft and Bethesda have finally given Starfield a release date. And the release date is the cause of a lot of controversy, a lot of upset individuals. And Starfield will officially launch on the Xbox series and PC platforms on September 6th. Now, this is a bit later than many had assumed, as Microsoft last year had really, they decreed that the game would release in the first half of 2023. And September is not in the first half of the year. Obviously, it is in the second half. And this has led to a wide range of emotions, some anger, others joyful, others Mm -hmm. a bit mixed. And I want to go right to you now, MVG, on news of the delay and how you felt about it. Well, um, I think generally speaking, I was happy to see the announcement. The game is finally coming out. But with that said, we... We did get an 11-11-22 date previously, Mm -hmm. which obviously came and has come and gone. But I think this is the one, right? Like, I mean, I think this is it now that this is the game. This is the time for the game to come out. So generally speaking, I'm happy that it's finally been dated. This looks like there should be no more delays, but of course, you know, we it's video games, it's Bethesda, we don't know. But I like to think that this is the date. It's a lock now. And um, look, overall, I'm I'm pretty happy that it was announced. I do have some concerns that we'll, we'll talk about that the game was indeed delayed again and it kind of fell outside that 12-month window, that self-imposed 12-month window that kind of Microsoft or Xbox had had on themselves for this but look overall i'm happy that's coming out it's 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 finally here well it's almost finally here and uh, i think september is a good month to bring out starfield as well especially when we 
start getting into uh, well, that time of the year, it's going to be the business end of the year where there's going to be some big releases coming out. And obviously it wants to be in the conversation potentially for our game of the year. So I think it's, it's, it's in a good, it's in a good month to come out. So overall I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy that it's, that it's finally here or almost here. Yeah. I was actually a little surprised to see the news be tweeted out this morning. I mm-hmm. was expecting that we would get information regarding a Starfield Direct this month. But I yeah. didn't expect them to just to kind of put out as a tweet of here's the release date and the Direct is coming in June. I was actually anticipating that they would have given the date just for the Direct, but it would have been much earlier in the year. I'm talking, you know, potentially it would have been this month, if not in the first half of April, and right. then we would have seen the release date at the end of that presentation. So for them to announce them in, you know, in tandem with each other was a bit of, of a surprise. But I was very surprised by the reactions that I saw to the delay. And mm-hmm. I've seen reactions accusing Microsoft of being liars, of the <laughs> whole brand being in shambles due to this. And when I really look at it and... I'll take Microsoft's, you know, for for them for their word, where they said first half of 2023. And I'll mm-hmm. give them to the last possible minute of the first half of the year. So we're talking the last day of June. Yep. The delay till September. We're only talking roughly eight weeks here. Mm-hmm. Very minimal. Not a, not a huge delay. We've seen delays similar of this in the past i believe the last of us two faced about an eight to ten week delay back in 2020 yep and that was you know for a little bit of polishing they also had suffered a great blow with a massive leak Mm -hmm. we've seen other sony games god of war ragnarok horizon forbidden west gran turismo 7 all face significant delays as well yep and at the end of the day the products came out and they were of utmost top tier quality and if a delay is made for further polishing to ensure the quality is up to the standards of the publisher and the development studio we should encourage delays to be a standard in this industry yeah so if you're upset about this delay and you think it is representative of poor management i'm going to say this brutal harsh truth you're wrong A delay is a sign of a company doing what is right. It is looking at the product saying, we can do better. Let's launch this in a better state. Let's take the time to do it right. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, you know, we certainly don't want another cyberpunk situation. Right. You know, it's easier to say and point fingers and say, you know, look, this company is being mismanaged. They, They can't keep their dates all that kind of stuff. But look, at the end of the day, you want to ship the best possible version of a game that you can mm-hmm. without uh, killing people, you know, working overworking them and, and, and whatnot. I mean, if it takes another six weeks, if that's what Bethesda feels like they need, then they should, they should have that. And it shouldn't be questioned. It shouldn't be scrutinized or, or, or whatever. I get it. There was a delay already, 
And I, I also know that Todd Howard said said things before about how the game's pretty much been finished for a while and all that stuff. But look, just because a game has been finished for a while, it doesn't mean it's in a in a good place to to ship, right? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, look, I, I'm with you on this. You know, delays are never fun. They're they're not fun as the developer to announce because you know you're going to get some backlash from people, um, whether that is manufactured or if it's artificial or if it's, if it's real, but you know, it's the right thing to do, especially in, in, in this kind of era of video games where where we are now post kind of um, COVID and everything that, you know, the, the, the days of trying and trying just to get something out or releasing something that is in a broken state. I'm not suggesting that if they released Starfield in June, it would be, broken but i just feel like after the cyberpunk thing a couple of years ago um more studios are taking more time and delaying games and i think it's the right mm-hmm. right move and look i get it you know if you're a gamer um you're a fan you've been waiting for this game it's not it's never fun to to wake up and and be told that you know you have to play this game in september but i don't really think it's a big deal and you're right all the, most of the big Sony kind of blockbuster games over the last few years have all seen similar delays as well. So it's not really anything that's, you know, an outlier for me. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to look at something like cyberpunk and remember how that launched the impacts it had, how long it took to fix. And yeah. you can even look at a more recent release with Pokemon Scarlet and Violet where it launched in a playable state to some mm-hmm. and just recently got its first patch where it was able to solve some of the issues, but there's still performance problems. There are still other things that people want addressed with that game. And way back in November, when we talked about Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, as we said, this appears to be a game that could have benefited from a three to six month delay and it didn't give it. They weren't yep. given that time for whatever self-imposed reasons. And, you know, look what happens. You get a game of shoddy quality that the consumer is then waiting and hoping that a fix comes down the line. Mm-hmm. And with Starfield, as you mentioned, Todd Howard had said the game has been complete for quite some time. And as you also explained, there's a difference between content complete Yes. And being ready to ship. And given the scope of the game, how massive the galaxy is going to be, the amount of planets we can explore, the missions we're going to go on, it's going to take a long time to polish that game up to the standard that Bethesda feels as though they've really readjusted to in recent years, that they want to launch games and change that reputation that has plagued them for the better part of their existence where they come out with this grand epic and then 50 hours into the game, you find a bug that causes your save to crash or <laughs> horses just fly away when they run into a dragon. They want right. to, it feels so Starfield. They want to come out and say, let's make this the least buggy game. Yes. That we've released of this I, scale. 100% agree. And I might add, this is coming out to game pass on day one, right? So, yes. I feel like, you know, Bethesda obviously has a history and a reputation 
for launching with not so stellar kind of day one releases where there's usually mm-hmm. some big patch that, that comes in. Uh, obviously, Fallout 76 was not a great launch for them. Um, I heard the game is fine now, but I mean, you know, for the first six months, yeah, it, it took a long time, right? So, and this is pre-Game Pass. We're talking about Game Pass here, a, a service that Microsoft is obviously almost, you could say, putting the house on, you know, as as their their future. And they want to not only grow their uh, Game Pass subscriber base, they want to retain existing members. They they want to keep growing this, and they will. But the way to do that is to put your big games on Game Pass, which is exactly what they're doing here with, with Starfield. So with that, it's I feel like there's also more, I don't want to say pressure, but there's also more emphasis on a polished day one experience on Game Pass where... Yeah, there might be the the occasional jank, which we're talking about Bethesda games. There's always going to be something, right? But um, it it has to be polished. It has to be playable. It has to be good on day one. Otherwise, you're going to start losing people. You're going to start having people ask questions about the Game Pass server. So, you know, there's there's more emphasis there on making sure that this game is is polished day one. Um, People are enjoying it either on Steam or they're purchasing um, copies outside of Game Pass on Steam or playing on Game Pass. You've got a lot of people that have expectations that this game is going to be a big blockbuster game, one of the best experiences that you'll play this generation. So I think Bethesda is doing everything that they possibly can between now and September to, to make that happen. And I think I think they'll get there. We'll be back after a quick break. Ever thought modern video games should be more interesting? At the Gaming Blender, we take randomised genres, mechanics, and make a new game every episode. I've added permadeath. We have a survival game of a hardcore simulation, which could be House Flipper, and with the permadeath of XCOM. Then that all has to be an action-adventure. Yes. Ooh, dear. Yes. And sometimes, it doesn't quite work. And you, you have a construction off over the course of the of the narrative a construction off the <laughs> way the way we can do this is that we ditch your idea entirely entirely check out the gaming blender on all your favorite podcast platforms now yes i do too and i want i want to talk about now the why mm-hmm. this delay happened and you were kind of touching on it there with the game pass element and I agree with you to a certain extent, and I do believe that Microsoft's impact on Bethesda is being felt here. I feel as though Bethesda could have launched this game back in November of 2022, made the original release window as intended, and we would have had patches and updates and everything up to now to refine the experience. I think by having Microsoft now be your parent company that Mm -hmm. they're looking at the game saying you're right you could launch this in november but you know what we're willing to give you more time we don't need the game at this moment and i think that extended even till june of this year i think the game could have come out in june it could have made the first half but it was microsoft looking at it and saying let's go a little longer we don't need to come out in june 
if you guys need a few more months of polishing or even maybe want to do a strategic delay for our own benefit, we can afford that. And due to that delay, you guys can work on it a little, little longer. You can iron out a few more of those bugs. And we're going to launch this game in a stronger state and a better quality state where the consumer and the fan can enjoy the game at a level that they're not accustomed to from Bethesda games. This is going to be such a refined experience that you're going to jump into this huge game. You're mm-hmm. going to explore. You're going to try to go out of your way to break certain things. And maybe to the surprise of many, you're not going to be able to do it this time. Yeah. And I think that is what's happening here is that this delay was more so influenced by Microsoft just evaluating the calendar year, looking to June, where you have Street Fighter Six, Diablo Four, Final Fantasy Sixteen, looking at it, saying, you know what? We don't need to put Starfield up against that type of competition. Let us delay it till September. Give it less direct competition. And yeah, you could potentially find yourself now competing with Spider-Man 2 when it comes to PS5. But are you actually competing with Spider-Man 2? Because they're different games, you know. Right. One is a one is a um cinematic single player mm-hmm. experience that's probably gonna take 10 to 15 hours to beat, you know, probably 25 if you want to get all the collectibles. Another one is a vast open world space exploration game that we <laughs> honestly, Nate, we still know nothing about, but we know it's huge and we know it's a different type of game altogether. Mm-hmm. So right. I, are you really competing? I feel like there's room for both to kind of coexist without really kind of stepping on each other's toes. Yeah. You're only competing in the sense that you're competing for screen time. Right. Right. And that's a, you know, you, but as you mentioned with like Spider-Man two, it's going to be, far less of an investment of your time compared to Starfield's potential. Mm-hmm. And when you beat Spider-Man 2, it will have some replay value. But the thing with Starfield is just like Skyrim and all the Elder Scrolls or even the Fallout games is once you become invested in this world, you want to keep yes. coming back to it. You want to discover what's new. What's on that planet? Is there a mission there I didn't discover? What if I, you know, what if I mine this mineral? What can I build? Can I further my exploration? All of those ideas and concepts are why you are going to keep coming back to something like Starfield. And when you look at that June lineup, yeah, it's a fighting game. It's an RPG. It's whatever you want to classify Diablo as. That's a lot of time with those three games. That's a huge investment. And that's a lot of competition. And people will say, well, Final Fantasy 16 is PlayStation exclusive. Yeah. So you're not competing with that directly. And yes, again, you're not competing with it directly, but it is competing for your time. And when you have three other games also competing for your time, that's a lot of competition, even if it is indirect competition. So you give yourself some space. You wait to what, like officially, there's nothing in September of meaningful release beyond Starfield at this moment. That can very easily change come May when Sony has their PlayStation Showcase and they date Spider-Man 2. And let's just say for the sake of the discussion, Spider-Man 2 is September. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's fine. Right now, though, Microsoft has kind of laid their card on the table 
and said, Sony, you want to bring Peter Parker to September? This is what we have for you. Do yeah. you want to compete with us now? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. Um, the only thing I will say is I will put a pin in it as well uh, until we actually see mm-hmm. um, more of the game at the, the direct that we're going to have in June, I believe, mm-hmm. of the game. So this should be kind of the definitive deep dive into Starfield before, well, before um, there may be other previews that come out, of course, um, from outlets, you know, before the game launches. But I think we'll we'll know then um, more about what, what we're looking at as far as, you know, this game. Like for me, I think you're right as far as why the game's coming out in September and not in June. But um, I also... You know, I, I kind of touched on it before, but I feel like they just, um, well, I, I don't, you know, maybe maybe the game is ready, but being offered that extra time uh, or having that extra time is a good way for them just to, you know, button this game up and get it ready to go. So I, I, I think they just need uh, whatever time they've been given just to get the game ready for launch. But yeah, I mean... I feel, like I said at the beginning, I feel pretty strongly that this is it now. You know, the game is definitely on the on the off ramp and and it's ready to to be buttoned up for release. So, um, yeah, I, I don't really feel like there's it, the its delay or whatever is is the end of the world here. I don't think it's hurting Microsoft in any way. I don't think it's hurting Xbox's brand. I don't feel like it's gonna affect Game Pass sales or anything like that. I just I feel like, um, you know, when the time comes, it's going to sell a lot of units and it's really going to push the Game Pass brand and it's going to push Xbox. Uh, And this is kind of the first release that we've been waiting for since after the the acquisition was done. So we're starting to, well, Mm -hmm. actually that's not true because we're going to get Redfall. Uh, I guess that's technically the first game, right? But I mean, this is really going to be, um, you know, the year of, the fruits finally of the acquisition from a couple of years ago that we've been waiting to see. But uh, I think Starfield is going to be, it's going to be a good game and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Another reason why I think this delay may have happened and this is definitely, you know, it's spitballing an idea mm-hmm. is I think back in January when we had that original Xbox direct, and we had the shadow drop occur. Yep. Hi-Fi and, Rush. Yep. Hi-Fi Rush and Forza was delayed. I think at that time, everything internally was still t- having Starfield release in the first half of the year. Yeah. I, I agree with that. And right around the time we saw the layoffs at, you know, mm-hmm. 343, the Coalition and other Xbox development studios. And we discovered and learned that Microsoft would be skipping E3 due to some cost cutting. I yeah. think that is also a contributing factor in the decision to push Starfield out of the first half of the year. Because now if you have reassigned and reallocated marketing funds and budgets have been slashed all of a sudden starfield's not going to get that marketing push that maybe they were originally forecasting right when putting together that quarterly budget and once you had to find stuff to cut it's hey 
we could launch the game in June, but we're going to have more money if you just wait a few more months. And mm-hmm. it's okay. Let's do let's do that. We can get away with not having Starfield in that first half of the year. We're not maybe we're not going to get the Game Pass subscription numbers that we were originally forecasting for that quarter, but we're going to make up with it. You know, the following quarter, so we can get away with this. It's going to hurt us initially, but in the long term, we'll recover just fine. And that is how businesses can look at these decisions. It's you have to cut money for these couple of months. Well, now we're going to push that product out of those months and we're going to redistribute and we're going to refocus a little more down the line. And I think that may have played a role in the decision here. And that's where like Starfield, I still maintain could have come out in June, just a lot of competition, lack of funding. You have to make a little bit of a move. It now grants the development team extra polish time. And right. ultimately, everyone may win in the end. Now, as you were kind of touching on there, is the impact that this delay had. And as you were saying, it's minimal. minimal. Yeah. And I agree with you. This is a very minimal impact on the Xbox brand, on Starfield itself. The public perception, what you're going to see from individuals who are going to have knee-jerk reactions saying, oh, Xbox is doomed. This is the worst news they could have had. What is happening at this company? It's eight weeks. Right. It's not that big of a deal. This is minimal in the grand scheme of things. And I think had they launched it in June and it had some issues, that would have been a bigger problem than coming out in September with less issues. This... The only reason this is big news, I would say, is because we haven't had any communication about the game since last year. Right. We didn't have any indication that the game wouldn't make the first half of the year. Up to a few weeks ago, they were updating the store page on the Bethesda website, and it still was saying first half 2023. So it gave people a lot of hope that it was going to happen. There was just no indication that there was going to be any reason that it wouldn't make the first half of the year. But the overall impact on this is really trivial. It's a nothing delay at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, as long as it's coming out this year, you know, and it's only, like you said, six weeks after anyway, so it's... I don't think it's much to do about anything, honestly. And it's it's such a great year for games as well. There's so many big uh-huh. games coming out this year. It's almost better that it comes out in September, to be honest. Like you said, um, you're not competing with Street Fighter Six. You're not competing um, with Tears of the Kingdom. You're not competing with these kind of summer games. Uh-huh. So yeah, I, I, I'm I'm totally fine with with them pushing it out to uh, September. Uh, I. I think you're right. You know, it's it's probably a little bit of everything, um, and I'm I'm hopeful that you know, like you, you kind of mentioned earlier, that that maybe it was Microsoft that that pushed or you know can asked Bethesda to consider pushing the date to September. If that is actually true, then uh, I commend Microsoft for that because that's that's obviously something that you know they have the vision and foresight to really make a determination on because I think as if you're Bethesda, like you said, you're probably thinking to yourself, 
this game is good enough. We could probably just ship it out now or we could mm-hmm. ship it out in June. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's definitely the right play here. But look, overall, man, I'm 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 pretty happy either way. If it if it came out in March as a shadow drop, which was by the way never going to happen. Let's be honest. Um, if it came out in June or if it comes out in September, it's I don't really feel any differently about it. You know, um, I, I think overall, if there is a delay, uh, if this is actually a delay, uh, not a we'll say a marketing delay, then. Great, you know, take take whatever time you need. Um, but I'm sure we'll we'll be playing it when it comes out on, on day one. And that's the thing, is that even when we did our 2023 predictions for Xbox and we had discussed and entertained the very realistic chance of a Starfield delay, and we mm-hmm. did, we said yep. very slight delay would still come out in the summer, anytime between June and September, and it's exactly where it's landing is in September. Is that even then we were saying if that happens, it's not that big of a deal. It doesn't reshape their year in any meaningful way where it's like, yeah. well, I was going to buy an Xbox this year, but now I'm not going to because I have to wait eight more weeks. Mm-hmm. It's just a case of, yeah, it, it's a little deflating if you were to look at the first half of the year 12 months ago where you thought you were going to get Redfall, Ghostwire yeah. Tokyo, Forza, Starfield. And you'd be like, wow, those are only the first six months of the year. That's a beast. Now it's a little more spread out, but you're still getting those games. Yeah. Just not, you know, back to back to back to back in the first six months. And I think the delay, it reshapes Microsoft's 2023 in a way that I think benefits them. And I'm going to propose two hypothetical lineups to you. Okay. So the first one is going to be the now impossible lineup, which would mm-hmm. have been Starfield in June, Forza Motorsport in September, mm-hmm. Hellblade 2 in November. Right. Yeah. Okay. Now. That's a pretty uh, solid lineup. It's a good lineup. Now I'm going to propose to you a second lineup. Starfield in September. Yep. Forza Motorsport in October. Mm-hmm. Hellblade 2, November. Ooh. Which one is stronger to you in terms of optics if you view it? I mean, the second one for me. The, the first one, the first one is good, don't get me wrong. But if you've mm-hmm. got if you're releasing uh the the those first party games one after the other three months in a row, that's pretty big. Especially at the, yeah, especially at the business end of the year. That's mm-hmm. That's massive. You know, um, I think that's that's definitely, I, I take number two. I take number two. And, see, and that's the interesting thing for optics. It's the exact same lineup. Right. I just spaced them out a couple of months. Mm-hmm. But now you put them yeah. back to back to back, that onslaught of quality, first party releases, high profile games. You as an Xbox fan and a consumer or a Game Pass subscriber, it's, yeah, I got Starfield. Like, this game's awesome. I'm playing it for the month. Oh, my God. Now I got Forza to play? Yep. Now, now you're driving in that. You're still going back to space. Like, yo, now I got Hellblade 2. Mm-hmm. Like, wow. They're just you're giving me good. Yeah, you're eating good. And if you're Microsoft, you're looking at that holiday saying, we got three killer apps to mm-hmm. drive hardware from September 
through the holidays. We're going to drive Game Pass subscriptions all of those months where if I had to space them out of June, September, November, you're going to have dips Yeah, in terms of subscriptions and hardware sales. But now you could have four straight months of strong sales across the board and subscription renewals, new subscribers. And this isn't even factoring in the June showcase and what that could detail and date. Because now, right. let's just say hypothetically, Avowed is first half of 2024. Now, you, now that's going to get renewed interest yep. from a lot of people. And if Microsoft can start detailing and dating some of those milestone markers in terms of software that's been announced and re- remains unknown and undated come June, that momentum is on their side. And as we talked about in January, this is the year Microsoft needs to build up that momentum. They lost a little bit with this delay, but it's still going to arrive. It's just, I mean, again, leaving the garage later than it should have. Yeah. So it, it kind of gives me shades of of the uh, the developer direct back in mm-hmm. February, right? Where was it February or January? First uh, week of February? Might have been the first uh, week of February, last yeah. week of January. It, you know, it was, it was, I went into it saying, Everything needs a release date. There's no excuses now. Microsoft has to f- start firing their shots. And we didn't get the Forza date, but we got the shadow drop of Hi-Fi Rush, which I think was more than a sufficient uh, swap, in my opinion, right? Uh, yes. And I kind of walked away from that feeling like, yeah, look, we didn't get dates for everything. We got dates for most things, but we got a nice surprise for the fans and i walked away feeling like okay microsoft has done enough here they haven't they haven't you know um gone backwards in any way they 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 realize that not everything has a firm date but they gave fans a nice little surprise which was fantastic the same thing is is true here i feel like yes the delay is is not great for some people some people won't like it but the fact that we are getting a deep dive June direct showcase of this game is pretty big. And if we go back and look at the past where Todd Howard has come out on stage and, you know, talked about his game, I expect this to be the same, probably better. But the good part is, you know that once Todd Howard comes out and makes his little uh, speech and, and shows off his game, you don't have to wait that much longer to play it. And that's always been true of most Bethesda games in the past. I think mm-hmm. about Fallout 4, Fallout 3, and, and even you've, uh, 76, which I didn't play, of course. But they, <laughs> uh, you know, once once Todd Howard's out there showing off his game, I mean, it's only just a matter of, literally you know weeks i mean there's still a little bit of time but there's not that much time between between when he you know he talks and and when the game comes out yeah typically he comes out with these type of presentations when the game is ready to go yep he's gonna be playing the final build or we're gonna be seeing the final build in june Mm -hmm. what we see on display is going to be what we're playing in september yes and you know that's a good thing and that's where 
when I just view like June has great meaning now for Microsoft. They know that showcase itself. You have to deliver. And I'm talking, I'm not talking the Starfield showcase. I'm talking about the main June showcase. Because right. you've removed Starfield from that now. Starfield is its own thing. So you don't have that to fall back on in that show. If, so if you have a 90-minute showcase, you got to deliver for 90 minutes. It's yeah. not a... You can't be 55 minutes of mediocrity and say, well, we've got 25 minutes of Starfield at the end that's going to save us. Mm-hmm. You have to have back-to-back strong showings and to get people excited about your brand again. And that's going to bring me to the final topic of this discussion, which is Microsoft's marketing failure, which goes back to last June, where they had the 12-month guarantee. Yeah, And that included Forza and Starfield, two games now that will not make the first half of this year, and how that promise hurts them because now we're approaching June. And as I brought up, let's say they come out in June and say avowed first half 2024. Right. Are you going to have confidence in that date come June 11th? (laughs) Well, I mean, here's here's the thing. (laughs) That showcase they had last year where they basically imposed their own rule that we're only going to show the next 12 months. Mm -hmm. It has not aged very well. And I've hope I'm hoping that Microsoft will do away with it going forward. Now I'm not suggesting that it was a failure. um, And I'm also not suggesting that it was them being dishonest Mm -hmm. because I think we all have to keep in mind that at the time of when that showcase came out at the time, Everything felt like everything seemed like it was on on course for the next whole months. So that's what Microsoft went with. Right. I feel like they would have gone around to all their potential uh, studios and partners, and and basically asked for a thumbs up commitment or a thumbs down, and that's what they got. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not really on them to ensure that uh, you know all these dates are, are met. Obviously, they want them to be, but. You know, there's obviously things that happen beyond the, the control of, of Microsoft upper management or whoever is in charge of, of making a showcase, putting that together, where these studios, uh, for whatever reason, um, there is uh, some development issues that are unforeseen. People have come and gone from the company. There's been layoffs that, you know, we've, we've, we've been seeing that's been going around. There's all sorts of things that happen that can push dates. And I think the takeaway for me is that while it was a very admirable way to put together a showcase, especially considering the criticism Microsoft and Xbox have had for, you know, showing off uh, cinematic trailers and things that, really um, aren't anywhere in any state of being released anytime soon. I think they need to find some happy medium between a self-imposed 12-month kind of restriction and something a little more further out. So I think, you know, I don't think it requires them to change the world here. And I think the developer direct was a good start for them 
if that was the way that they want to continue. But look, the, the 12-month thing was a marketing failure, let's be honest. It, it, it hasn't gone well for them, but it was an admirable kind of way to test things out. Uh, I, I, I think I'd just rather them not try to commit to anything like that and just just show stuff that um, is is close, right? You know, is they know that it's kind of in the final stages of production or whatever, um, or maybe it's kind of at, at the tail end of development. Things like that I feel like, you know, would be acceptable. But ultimately I think Microsoft just needs to do away with the 12-month thing because, yeah, it, it just didn't work for them. See, I I like the focus of the 12 months because it gave us a very strict window of what we were going to see. We weren't going to see games that are three years out that we're just getting a hype trailer for or even a recruiting trailer for. We saw games that are deep in development that they at the time thought would make it within those 12 months. Now, I look at Forza and Starfield delays. As you mentioned, I believe at the time, Turn 10 and Bethesda were confident they were going to get those games out before June. Yes. And as you mentioned, there's been layoffs within Microsoft. Budgets have been slashed. Mm -hmm. Some games were dated for months like June with, you know, Final Fantasy 16, Street Fighter 6, Diablo 4 that at the time didn't have release dates. And games releasing in certain months do impact the release windows of other games. It's that's a hard fact that when even when Tears of the Kingdom got dated for May, there's very likely a game that was looking at May as one of the potential release dates. Saw that get officially announced before they announced their date, and they said, "Okay, May is no longer now is no longer viable." Now we'll release in June or we'll release in July. This is an industry standard. All the companies have multiple months where a game could come out and it is dependent on competition. So that kind of plays into the idea of Microsoft could have been targeting June. All of a sudden you see a lot of games being dated for June. They say, okay, our backup date was September. That's where we're going now. And going into this June showcase, I want them to retain that 12-month window. But to your point, make sure the games that you're showcasing there yeah. will make it out within those 12 months or just be a little more, I guess, liberal right. with the time frame. Say all the games here will be out within the next 12 to 18 months. Yeah. I mean, just loosen the restriction a little bit, right? Um, yeah. I think that's really all you need to do. Look, you and I, we know what you know what goes on behind the scenes you know we have a, a pretty good idea about why games get delayed and but to the average person that is is someone that is an X, a Xbox fan or a, a game pass subscriber um you know it, I'm not saying that Microsoft pulled a, a fast one on them because they didn't but I think if you start holding yourselves to these self-imposed you know, spaces and rules and dates, then eventually you're going to get yourself in a spot of bother. So I think they just need to relax, relax that window a little bit. It doesn't have to be drastic, but yeah, just 18 months or, you know, just make it a sliding scale or something. But you don't want to show something that is just 
got greenlit or something. Um, I, I think, you know, they they had, I'll say about 85% of the format down. They just need to tweak a couple of things. Right. Um, and uh, they should be good to go. Yeah, I mean, I think the delay of Starfield and Forza just kind of plays into the idea of can you and will you trust what Microsoft dates moving forward? Because when you're met with delay after delay of just numerous games, I mean, this goes all the way back with Halo, mm-hmm. where Halo was delayed a full year. It feels as though this is a trend for a lot of Microsoft's big games at this point, and it makes it very hard to trust what they're relaying to us when they give us release date windows or even release dates themselves. And I think that is a fair criticism to make, that if the company continues to not deliver on the dates that it's promising, you have to approach any release date now with a little bit of scrutiny. And it's not exclusive to Microsoft. This can be assigned to any company. I mean, Tears of the Kingdom was supposed to come out in what, 2021 or something? Yeah, 2021. And, you know, it's delayed. As we mentioned earlier in the show, Sony has delayed almost every one of their releases, save for Insomniac Games games. And it happens. And come June, yes, I will definitely be a little cautious to get too excited if they said, Avowed coming out January 25th, 2024. I'd be saying, sure, it will. (laughs) I'll expect you coming out in April. And if they can deliver... That's what they have to do now. And it can start with Starfield. Starfield has to drop on September 6th. When you date Forza in June. It has to come out. It has to come out whatever day they give it. Let's say it comes out in October. It has to come out that day. If you date Hellblade 2 at the showcase, it has to come out, let's say this holiday. It has to make that date. No game that you announce in June for the remainder of 2023 can be faced with a delay. If anything is hit with a delay, you're going to lose a lot of goodwill with the consumer base, and they're just not going to believe any date you give moving forward. Right. For now, I'm willing to give you the benefit of the doubt, and that goes for any company, that you will deliver on the dates you give us. But you can only fool me so many times before I'm just going to say, I'm done. I quit. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. You know, but I go into June being very hopeful. I think ultimately the Starfield delay, it's almost not even, it's news because it finally got a release date. Right. But the delay aspect of itself, I don't think it's negative, nor do I think it's a positive. It's positive that we got the date. It's negative that we have to wait a few extra weeks. But ultimately, yeah. I think there's a lot of outrage just for the sake yes. of outrage on this topic. And I think the takeaway should be, Yes, we got a new release date. It's coming. Can't wait to see that deep dive in June. Bring it on. Yep. It'll be here before you know it. It really will. There's yeah. a lot of games coming out this year, and all of a sudden already, it's going to be September. Already into the, almost in the second week of March. I mean, this year is flying past. Yep. It, and it's going to be here before you know it. In just a couple of weeks, Resident Evil 4 Remake will be out. Right. And next thing you know, Tears of the Kingdom will be out, and then we'll yep. be playing Final Fantasy 16, and then all of a sudden we'll be playing Starfield before you even blink your eye. Yep. Playing Metroid Such. Prime 4 too before you know it. <laughs> right? Maybe. <laughs> 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 
And on that note, we can go to some of the Streamlabs questions that we have. How many do we have, Nate? We have a lot. <laughs> it's been a while. We'll, we'll get through them. We'll get through them all. And our first question comes from Jackie G, who donated a dollar. And they write, folks seem to think porting a game from one console to another is just a flick of a switch. How many resources would it typically take to port a AAA game designed for PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5 to the Xbox? That's a really hard question to answer. Um, because every every game has a different scope, budget, and resources. But we're talking hundreds of people potentially hundreds of people and millions of dollars in general. It's not an easy thing. Yeah, there's no port button. Yep, there's no copy paste or uh easy easy mode or anything like that. <laughs> it's just work. It, there's just a lot that goes into it. But yeah. Good question though. Then had a dollar donation from Hero of Time. What is your advice for tackling the backlog, especially for balancing retro games you missed out on versus new releases? I feel like I have decades of releases to catch up on, top of the mountain of releases coming out in 2023. Love the show. My advice is play what you want to play. Yep, I agree. And look at the backlog again and really make a determination on do you really, you know, are there games that you really want to play. Uh, I'm I'm not the best person to ask about this stuff because I kind of just pick up games when I feel like picking them up, not when they're mm. popular. Mm-hmm. So a good example is I played and beat God of War Ragnarok months after everyone else had, and I had a great experience with it. I loved it. Um, I uh, just finished Metroid Prime 1 Remastered. Love that. And now I'm going to start Hi-Fi Rush on the Xbox. I haven't played the game, but I've heard it's great. So, yeah, to Nate's point, just just play whatever you want, whenever you want. Yeah. Keep in mind that when you buy a game on launch day, you're spending, you know, 60 or $70 really just to be part of the conversation at the time. Yes. If you're not going to be part of that conversation, be it online or with friends, you can wait. And, you know, play the game a few months later at a fairly significant discount at that. But, yeah, sometimes also look at the backlog and, as, you know, I Viji mean, was saying, it's a game you just kind of bought because you thought you'd have interest in and you're looking at it saying, I don't think I really want to play this game. Shelf it and move on. Don't feel obligated to play games in your backlog just because you bought them at a time where you thought you would have interest in it. They can be ignored. Mm-hmm. Then had a $10 donation from Duck1299. MVG. One thing I haven't seen discussed much regarding Nintendo's next hardware storage. I love the speed of the SSDs used in PS5, Xbox Series X. Could Nintendo implement this, or will the component cost being bound to slower physical game cards limit them? I think they'll have something faster for whatever comes next. I don't know what that will be specifically. They could just have a faster cart format, potentially. They could have faster NAND inside or faster flash. Mm -hmm. Or they could have some type of SSD approach. It's hard to say 
I do think, however, that loading times and speed, uh, read speeds, write speeds, is something that I feel like is a KPI that Nintendo is interested in looking into and fixing and making more more performant, faster for the next generation. Agreed. Then had a follow-up $10 donation from Duck1299. And they write, Nate MVG. What are your thoughts on Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, Metroid Prime 4's proximity to the release of Switch 2? Since these are new big-budget first-party titles, they'd surely benefit from some enhancements. Will they get free next-gen updates or be sold as new ports? I mean, we have to make a lot of assumption and guesswork here. Yep. Um, as far as like a free next-gen update, that's it's reliant on is the next Nintendo successor going to read Switch game cards? Right. Um, could they be sold as new ports? They could be. It, it It's all dependent on if the format changes or if it remains the same, what makes sense for Nintendo. When you think of Nintendo as a business, I would definitely go with the latter. If they can sell you yes. an enhanced port, they will do that. That, then that's instead of giving you a way. free one, they, they they sell you the same games over and mm-hmm. over again. We keep buying them. <laughs> As for the proximity in terms of release of new hardware, I'd say both are coming out at least at minimum a year before we see new hardware. So, you know, even if there were to be a patch or anything of that sort, it's still a fairly meaningful amount of time between the two. Then had a $5 donation from Arsteon. Greetings. Nate, you talked about Metroid Prime 4 potentially releasing this year, making a cross-release for Switch 2 unlikely. Do you think Nintendo could sit on Metroid Prime 4 until Switch 2 is ready, or that they will basically release it when it's done? Thanks. They will re- they will release it when it's done. I agree. There's no reason to I sit agree. on it. Yep. And I don't think it's a coincidence that we've already seen Prime 1 Remastered and now Fusion and probably Zero Mission at some point mm-hmm. come out this year. I think, I think this is the year of Metroid, finally. Yes. I then had a $1,000 donation from Shamsa. Whoa. Thank you, Shamsa. Yes, thank you for your very gracious and generous contribution. And as... We said earlier in the episode, this episode is dedicated to Shamsa. Then had a $2 donation from South Coast Horizon. Hot take. Well, many disliked all the changes in Majora's Mask 3D. I think the change to the saving made it a better game. Infrequent saving was the reason I couldn't be bothered with Persona 4 Golden. What are your thoughts on this? If you enjoy the game due to quality of life enhancements that it has, enjoy the game. No one can tell you that you're wrong. Yes. Don't let purist ruin your fun. Yep. Well said. Then had a $5 donation from Average Katari. If the next thing ends up including the Tegra X1 for backwards compatibility and side computing tasks, what are the pricing? What are the prices you guys have in mind for it? Big shout out to Shamsa, the Zelda Sensei, and the community 
for keeping the show up and running. Was was the question what would it look like as far as cost if there was a a, a updated new Nintendo hardware with yeah if it had a, if, it, if the new hardware has an X one right what prices I, do we have in mind that the hardware would cost honestly i I think I think this new system whatever it is is three ninety nine anything above that maybe a just doesn't fit right with me, but based on everything that I I think is going to happen right now, I'm sitting at three ninety nine, and that m- could also include a Tegra X one chip if that's the route that they take. See, I'm kind of expecting three ninety nine as the floor. Maybe I'm thinking anywhere between three ninety nine and four ninety nine is what we're going to see the pricing of the next system. Yeah, but I mean, this is pure guesswork based on nothing. We don't know the concept of the hardware. We really know nothing about it. So this is just spitballing potential pricing could come in at ninety nine dollars. It won't, but could. I then had a dollar donation from Traveler of the Stars. Nate, MVG, let's talk about the Virtual Boy. I have no nostalgia for this rickety ass console. But it's a shame this piece of hard Nintendo history hasn't got its games brought back ever, not even for the 3DS, including Virtual Boy Wario Land, the only good Virtual Boy game. All right, tennis is good. Like that? Yeah, it's not bad. I mean, it, that's kind of the problem with the Virtual Boy is the amount of good games are a handful. Though not having Virtual Boy virtual console on the 3ds was a missed opportunity it was right there yeah i agree i mean look the virtual boy is just one of those things where it's nintendo is never going to acknowledge it again what do you mean they did in um that 3ds game i'm talking about like in recent times on they the had Switch. all they had all the characters walk around it saying all oh, hail the virtual boy <laughs> I'm talking about bringing those games back. <laughs> well, lucky for you, Traveler of the Star, I like, have a follow-up question. Okay, let's hear it. They donated a dollar and says, I know it probably won't happen, but what if Nintendo made a Virtual Boy app for NSO? MVG, you're probably not asked about the Virtual Boy much, so let me ask, how difficult is the Virtual Boy to emulate slash port? If it were up to you two, how would you bring Virtual Boy to NSO? I would leave it in the trash. Yeah, I mean, I, I would probably <laughs> uh, pass on the on the job. You know, <laughs> I'd, I'd probably pass on the job. Nintendo comes to you, MVG. You want to port Virtual Boy? No, no. Really? Yep. We'll pay you. <laughs> no. <laughs> Get off my phone. <laughs> problem is i mean there's going to be the diehards that will never be happy with what you what you have presented to them because it's not the virtual boy I mean, the, so it's it's one of those situations where i don't feel like you you're going to get any sort of praise for for bringing this to the service you know how they could do it though labo vr See, I thought about this too, but 
Lavo VR sounds like an absolute. I don't even know what the word I want. I'm going to say here. Abomination. It's a family show. Yeah, pretty much an abomination. <laughs> I don't think that would work very well. I mean, it's really the only solution you'd have. Yep. To if you want, even want to come close to replicating the Virtual Boy you know, delivery, like the 3DS, because it had the parallax 3D barrier, you could have simulated that effect reasonably well. Going to the Switch, if you wanted to do it, you'd really need that Labo VR, unless you want to create a VR headset for the yeah. sole sake of playing Virtual Boy games. But considering you're only going to have about 10 of them on the service to begin with, you'd want to go the cheapest route. And Virtual yeah. Boy is just a relic of Nintendo's past that will be left to meme status and nothing beyond. And if you thought we were done talking to Virtual Boy, you'd be uh-huh. wrong. Traveler of the Stars followed up with an additional dollar donation and writes, <laughs> Speaking of Virtual Boy Wario Land, do you remember years ago when this and Link's Awakening getting remakes were rumored was it rumored a bunch? We got the latter finally, but what happened to the former? Nate, do you have any insight into this? I feel like no one remembers this. It probably was just a fever dream someone put on Twitter. You're right. No one does remember it because I've never heard about this before. <laughs> MVG was supposed to remake it and was so offended by the offer that it never went anywhere beyond the pitch. That's not uh, true. News outlets, that's not true. <laughs> I want to see it on VGC. <laughs> Night Dive developer told Nintendo to go to hell. <laughs> and had a dollar donation from J Max. Writes, Miyamoto should get more credit as being the creator of modern video games. He is the Tolkien of games as the most influential game creator. We have others like Miyazaki who is the George R.R. R. Martin of video games, but recognizes Miyamoto's influence on him. All right, I, I, I can get down with that comparison. Yeah, me too. But I do think Miyamoto still gets a lot of accolades and, and attention even now. But I mean, he's mostly checked out anyway. He's, he's, he's doing movies and theme parks these days, so he's, he's doing okay. But he is. Then had a $3 donation from J-Max, right? Nintendo has the most evergreen titles because they focus on gameplay over story, which is smart. Uncharted, Last of Us, God of War, all have end, mm-hmm. all have to end as a series eventually because the story has to conclude. We can have a Mario as long as gameplay is great. We can. That is true. Then had a $5 donation from J-Max. Michael Pachter is right when he said that Disney or Apple should have bought Nintendo. Pre-Switch, it would have been cheap. Nintendo has the most valuable IP in gaming. With the Saudis increasing their stake, could they buy Nintendo and would it be good? They cannot buy Nintendo. Nintendo still retains majority ownership, so a takeover is impossible. No company could ever buy Nintendo. Yeah. At least not in the sense of gaining a majority control of a stock and doing like a hostile takeover type thing. Could you come to Nintendo and said, we want to buy you as a company in terms of an acquisition, like we're seeing with Microsoft, 
with Zenimax, Bethesda, and right now with Activision, you could have that type of deal where you would have a takeover. But in terms of stock buys, it's impossible. And keep in mind, way back, I believe it was 2000, Microsoft right. did try to buy Nintendo, but they were basically laughed out, laughed of, the out of the room. Yeah. Microsoft was aggressive back then. They tried to buy Nintendo. I think they tried to buy Sega. Yep. They, they, they knew what they had to do to get into the industry. 20 years later, they said, we're not going to go to Japan. We're just going to buy up the West. <laughs> it's easier here. And then had a $5 donation from Mycroft. Could you please explain why people care about Switch unit sales? As long as software is selling, isn't that the main thing? If Nintendo sells two games to every Switch owner this year, they are going to have a better year than if they sell 18 million new Switch. People care about Switch unit sales because it's a numerical figure that they can attach themselves to. At the end of the day, unless you own stock in Nintendo, you really shouldn't trivialize yourself with the matters of sales data i can understand if you enjoy sales from the information that it offers and that you enjoy data and the talking points but beyond that it's there's no value to it unless it's making you money the sales data doesn't matter if nintendo sells a hundred million switch or one switch it's just tribalism boyism tribalism console wars whatever you want to call it yeah, it's just a metric that you can say, my team is winning. Yep, exactly. It's, unit sales are basically the scoreboard of consoles. That's what it is. It's to say your team scored the highest points this week or this month in this region. Ultimately, yes, does it have some impact on your favorite company? Like if you're just a Nintendo fan and you only buy Nintendo products, you want to see the hardware sell well because naturally that's going to lead to more games because partners are going to release more software on a well-received platform. But beyond that, there's no reason that people get so connected to it. And they should really try to avoid becoming so emotionally connected to a numerical figure. Agree. Then had a $3 donation from South Coast Horizon. It's been said that Xbox has been king of the homebrew and custom firmware use for many years. With a continuous unofficial porting and development, do we now give that crown to the PlayStation Vita? Truly, Vita is life. Yes, we do. The really? Vita has an, has an amazing homebrew community. And they're still working on stuff to this day. I mean, the Switch has a very, very good one, but I think for me, the the Vita is the, probably the most impressive one at the moment, at least. You would um, give it over the Xbox, though. I think I would. I think mm-hmm. I would. Yep. I mean, Xbox has is hosting a lot of different emulators and homebrew solutions right now to exceptional quality. It does. It does. And I, I'm I'm not discounting that. Obviously, you can you can run. Xenia and, and Dolphin and, and all these emulators and stuff, and it's all a, a fantastic experience. But I think the reason why I like the Vita so much is that it's there are people that are actively working on porting Android games to the Vita, and there's just 
every so often there's like there's just a release that comes out that you're just like wow like when when they ported bully and uh the gta trilogy and and max Payne one and two and dead space and mass effect things that you just wouldn't even consider that could have any business running on the vita um these ports start to come up so i think in general the community and and the releases that we're getting is what makes me want well, makes me think that the Vita is the better option at the moment. A very thorough, well-explained answer. And had a $5 donation from B Martin 001. Sup, Nate and MVG. I want to say I love your podcast. Thank I you. also have a question. You think there's a chance we could get a Donkey Kong Country Returns port to the Switch? I know they have an HD version in China. Do you think Nintendo would bring it over? I believe the way those NVIDIA Shield Chinese ports were is that they were done by, I want to say it was IQ. Mm -hmm. I believe they did those ports. And you're right. Because they did the Mario Galaxy port for the NVIDIA Shield. And I think IQ had very minimal contributions to the mario 3d all-stars collection i'd have to check on that so there's technically nothing preventing it but there could be some deal that nintendo has in place with iq and tencent the distributor of switch in china and even a deal with you know nvidia of how the games were released and ported there where there are licensing agreements and such and given how long it's been since that was released on the NVIDIA Shield in the region and the fact that we don't have it now, I kind of wonder if there is a deal that's preventing it or if Nintendo simply just has no interest in doing it because it feels as though it would be a pretty simple port and release. Yep. So it feels as though there's a reason that we don't have that release right now because they, they should have just bundled it back with Tropical Freeze. Then had a $10 donation from Carlos. Oops. $10 donation from Carlos Obregon. And they write, instead of live services, companies should establish an IP through a series of games and then expand to movies, TV, comics, toys, theme parks, etc. The way that Disney has done with their IPs, Nintendo and Sony seem to be heading that way thoughts it does seem as though a lot of the video game companies are moving in that direction they want to create a massive media feel with their ips at least their iconic ips and when you look at things like the last of us from sony having such success on hbo and nintendo going into theme parks we have the mario movie more and more of these mainstream IPs are going to continue to go in that direction because there's a lot of money to be made. And the more you expand them, the greater that revenue stream is, the more people you expose it to. And it also, now you get other merchandise, toys, you know, cell phone covers. You can look at Hello Kitty. Yep. Hello Kitty has been around for decades. And it's one of the most iconic and profitable characters in the world. 
there's no Hello Kitty movie that anyone really recognizes, but everyone knows Hello Kitty. So now Mario is equally one of those huge characters everyone recognizes. It's time. That's why you're seeing him get a movie because they want to expand that appeal and hope that people are going to see the movie and come and buy a game and invest in the Nintendo ecosystem. They're going to go to the theme park and say, I want to buy a Switch now because this was fun. So yes, Sony, Nintendo, even Microsoft, they're all expanding in that direction. And video gaming is going to become more Hollywood as the years go on. Whether or not this is going to be a pro or a con, we'll see in due time. It certainly feels that way to me. Ben had a $3 donation from John Strike, and they write, Thanks for great podcasts. Looking to the future and how close hardware is to PC hardware at times, and with Sony going all in on PC gaming, how many generations are left in the traditional console hardware? I'd much rather keep consoles myself. I don't think consoles are going to go away anytime soon. I know there's a lot of talk and and speculation about the future of video games and cloud-based streaming devices and things like that. Um, I, I, I still think in the foreseeable future we will have pieces of hardware that are video game consoles that can be connected up to your television that either use physical media or possibly digital only but i think i think game consoles aren't going to go away anytime soon mm-hmm. i mean yeah i think a lot of it comes down to how literally you want to use the term traditional console hardware i think we're going to eventually move into a future that consoles are going to be more closely iterated upon to like a cell phone where it could be every two to three years we're just going to get more powerful revisions and they're just going to keep churning them out like that now if that fits your definition of a traditional console then yeah i think it's going to you know be for you know decades if you mean reliant on the next you know a seven year generation those days are going to fade very soon then had a two dollar donation from golden go NVIDIA is so far ahead of AMD with GPU tech like DLSS and ray tracing. I feel like if Sony or Microsoft goes with ARM NVIDIA for their next system, it will blow the other one away. Just need to get backwards compatibility sorted out. But after that, the power gains would be huge. Not going to (laughs) happen. I mean, you're right, it won't happen, but... AMD is doing, you know, they're making great strides in technological advancements of their own. But NVIDIA has always been ahead of the game in terms of those two companies. Yes. Though NVIDIA does have some of their own negatives. Then had a dollar twenty cent donation from Maiku. Do you ever see one of the big three bowing out of the console race in the next about 20 years? and stop releasing new hardware and consoles, but still release software like what Sega did, basically just going third-party. If one of the three were to do it, my bet would be Microsoft. Microsoft has a lot of developers under their corporate umbrella, and I think Microsoft would be a very powerful third-party publisher, as we've already seen them put some games on other platforms like the Switch. We saw Ori in the Blind Forest and... 
that was officially published by Microsoft, as well as Minecraft. And if the Activision Blizzard deal goes through, they would be publishing Call of Duty on all platforms. So I think that would fit Microsoft's, you know, fairly well. I think if Nintendo ever bowed out, I think that would just be the end of Nintendo. They wouldn't become a third party developer. I don't think they would like that whole deal. And Sony... I think Sony would just abandon gaming altogether, but the developers under their umbrella, I think, would continue to operate and potentially find new homes under another corporate wing, whoever it may be, if it was a Microsoft and EA Activision or a whole new company. I think the likes of Naughty Dog, Santa Monica, Insomniac, all of them would find new life in the industry. But if a console manufacturer were to bow out, I think it would be Microsoft, but they would stay around as a third-party publisher. Yeah, I agree with that. I, th- I think if there was one company, it was probably going to be Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Then had a $1.50 donation from Night Elf Druid. Do you ever see ad breaks becoming common in games? As in, the game pauses itself while it streams and ads, then unpauses the game after the one to two minute ad break. If it sounds crazy, so did Horse Armor DLC back in 2012. What do you think? I think there's been some attempts to do this already, right? Like, there are games that have advertising in them. Yeah, they have a lot of that. Like, you do have paid for advertising where it's your product placement. Yeah. You have the billboards and stuff. I don't think maybe some free-to-play games might have like that type of pause i know nba 2k i think runs commercials yep after like it's been on market for so long (laughs) um as a standard i could see it becoming a standard for a free-to-play game oh yeah easily but nothing that you're actually paying hard currency for i'm not giving you 70 dollars to watch commercials right so yeah i do think it will become more common using air quotes, but it's going to be in a very select subgenre of gaming. Then had a dollar donation from Oat Milk. I worry about the lack of big new IPs in the future. It seems expanding an IP to movie TV makes it harder to move on from the IP. Studios become factories for the same IP for many years like Guerrilla Games right now with Horizon. Thoughts? I I see where the question is coming from. Where you do get a lot of sequels to these big IPs like Halo, Gears of War, Horizon, God of War. And, I mean, it's really... It's hard to say why they turn out... Just sequel after sequel. Is it because it's being dictated by their publisher where they want to make the IP into, you know, a movie or a TV show? Because if you want to look at The Last of Us, very successful on HBO, yet Naughty Dog has not committed to The Last of Us 3. Mm -hmm. It would make sense if you did. You want to capitalize on all this hype and, you know, it's easy marketing. But if the creator of the game doesn't want to make a new entry you can't force them to do it 
So it kind of comes down to the creators and whether or not they want to do it. But I can see, I think what we maybe we should be looking to more is we're seeing Disney and Marvel and all these superhero companies investing in gaming with their licensing where, man, we're old enough to remember where if you were getting a Hulk game and a Captain America game during the PS2, even early 360 generation, we used to just call that licensing crap. Right, right. They weren't good games. They went to, no. they went to, you know, second tier developers oh, who yeah. were published by EA and Activision to make a quick dollar. Remember those bad Ninja Turtles games from the 2000s? Oh, God, they were awful. None of them were good. Now we're getting higher quality games for these movie IPs, and it's going to prestigious studios where they're seeking, they're actively seeking out like the Star Wars license to make these big games. And I think that's where we're going to see it more is that you're going to see the movies and those IPs from TV shows get big releases. And instead of getting those new IPs from the companies, it's going to, they're chasing the trend instead of innovating and making new ideas or even just expanding upon an IP they may have created. Like, you know, you mentioned Horizon. Right now, Horizon isn't a big thing in the media world. But instead of, you know, let's just say in a hypothetical scenario, instead of getting Horizon 3, Guerrilla Games is making Star Wars, The Return of Palpatine. Yeah. You're like, great. Woohoo. <laughs> I think that's the Wars. trend we're going to see. You never liked Star Wars anyway. No, I didn't. <laughs> never saw the original trilogy. I just, I know all about it because people talk about it all the time. It's just part of like, you know, society yeah. where you learn things of it, but never had any interest in watching, not even interest in really, I played the GameCube games. Well, that were pretty good. Because it was a cool, we flew a ship, blew shit up, but now, yeah. like, what is it, next month? No, it's this month. Actually, when yeah. the hell is it? When's, uh, what's it called? I, Jedi Survivor come out? Is it this month? I think, was it delayed to April? Oh, maybe it was, yeah. Yeah, it was, Survivor. I don't care about that game. I'm sorry. I apologize. Uh, yeah, April 28th. <laughs> I look at the trailer and I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, proud of you, Stig. You're a good developer. Yeah. But I have no interest in that game whatsoever. What was the question? <laughs> Movie tie-ins. That's right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and had a dollar donation from J-Max. For Game Freak, is the tech jump for game development from 3DS to Switch bigger than the tech jump N64 to PS3? If so, we give them a pass since it is hard to adapt to a jump that big. I don't think it is a bigger jump. I think N64 to PS3 is a jump that most people would would try to take and they would fail. That would be that sounds like a a serious jump right there. You're going from one really kind of obscure architecture that was difficult to develop on to another one that is notoriously difficult to develop on. I think the 3DS and the Switch, I mean, I don't have much experience on the 3DS, but I, I certainly have made games on the Switch. Jumping to the Switch is 
is like a breath of fresh air. Mm. So I, I would definitely, I would definitely say the N64 to the PS3 has got that one. Then had a $2 donation from JMAX. At first, I wanted a Switch Pro, but Nintendo going to the next gen is smart. If we got a Switch Pro, the next gen leap would be minimal and people would still hold on to the last gen of Switch. Nintendo needs to be ruthless and stop ports for old gen Switch. I mean, I don't think they need to be, they need to stop the ports, but I do agree generally with what you're saying about moving forward. I think we're all expecting that this will be a generational leap now rather than a revision type of thing. But Mm -hmm. I think there's always going to be room for ports and I personally hope that will continue in the future. Yes. Then had a $3 donation from JMAX. The Wii U library saved the Switch release schedule by filling in the gaps with deluxe versions of old games. I reckon they will use GameCube games and remasters to fill out the Switch next-gen device release schedule. P.S. Will Xenoblade X get a port? I am not anticipating Xenoblade X to ever get a port. That's or a, a remaster. I know people would really like to see that. Yeah, it's actually a lot of people's favorite Xenoblade game, but unless maybe unless Monolith can hand it off to someone else, I don't think they're too yeah. keen on revisiting it anytime soon. Then at a $4 donation from JMAX, Nintendo has the most valuable IPs in gaming, Pokemon, Mario, Zelda, If the Mario movie becomes a big hit, I can see Nintendo becoming the Disney of video games with movies and TV shows. If Nintendo was American, companies would try to buy it. Well, even as a Japanese company, Nintendo has been pursued in acquisitions. But yeah, Nintendo is definitely going to leverage their IPs in a stronger media sense moving forward. Absolutely. Then had a $5 donation from JMAX. You have to acknowledge that certain game journalists and reviewers have an agenda. The Hogwarts debacle has shown that. I want games free of inclusivity politics like sports. Sony and Nintendo knows this, which is why they are winning and not American Xbox. Then had a dollar donation from Liam Werner. Tears of the Kingdom being $70 is blatantly anti-consumer. And I hope yes. so, so badly that people push back on it. It, it was, is slightly anti-consumer. <laughs> it was a little more tolerable with Sony since they offer next-gen experiences. But the Switch was old tech when it came out. No one should buy it. I mean, everyone's going to buy the game. I don't personally yes. believe that it should be $70. I agree that it's a hard ask to put it on... $70 when it's a system that's been out for, for many, many years. But I also understand what Nintendo's doing. It is a big game. It's an outlier for them. It's their biggest release of this year. One of the biggest games of the generation. So, yeah, I can they can they can charge an extra $10 and get away with it. So mm-hmm. that's what they're doing. We may revisit that pricing topic when mm. the release date of Tears of the Kingdom gets a little closer. We should. Revisit that topic. 
I think we will in six weeks. We then had a $5 donation from Adrian. Oh my God, I'm playing Metroid Prime on my Switch right now. Did you guys get a chance to play it? And when will Prime 2 and 3 come out to close this rumor chapter? Thanks, guys. I believe both of us have played and finished it. I know I have. Yes. Um, amazing experience on the Switch. Fantastic game. My game of the year so far. Uh, I love everything about it. As far as when the other two games are coming, I have no idea. I'd like to think that they are in development and they will come out. I'd like to maybe think that one of them is coming out this year, but I'm, I'm you know, I'm just speculating now. I, I don't really know anything. The I'd, last, like think, I'd like to think Metroid Prime 1 is not the last we're going to hear about mm-hmm. this trilogy. Yeah, I haven't heard anything new regarding 2 or 3 in quite some time. I believe they still remain in development and planned for release as to when they come out. It's hard to guess or even give an estimation. As we know, Metroid Prime 1 went to EU ratings review boards back in, I believe it was July of 2021 or 2020. I think it was 2021. And look how long it took to come out. So it's all about Nintendo and how they want to actually release these types of games and how long they're willing to wait. I think Metroid Prime 4 is the next Metroid game that we would get this year. Maybe 2 or two and 3, or at least maybe Metroid Prime 2. Maybe there's some slither of hope that they could release it this summer if they wanted to, but it's really hard to figure out what Nintendo is doing with some of these games because they could have released Metroid Prime one remaster anytime in 2022. And they just didn't. I agree. I mean, I'm, I'm mostly trying to manifest it. (laughs) So we get another Metroid Prime game this year. It would be, it'd be nice to have the whole trilogy out before Prime four. But then again, we don't know how, Dependent, the story of Prime 4 is on the trilogy and maybe Metro Prime 1 is just their way of introducing the first-person concept to gamers now in the Prime franchise so they can generate a little bit of hype for Prime 4 later this year if the game does indeed release this fiscal year and calendar year. That is the last Dreamlabs question for this week. If you'd like to support the channel, we have a Streamlabs link in the description below. Donate any dollar amount, ask a question, we'll answer it at the end of the episode. Donate $100 or more, and we will dedicate the episode to you. And with that, I'd like to thank MVG for joining me, as always. Always a pleasure, Knight. Thanks for having me on. And let us know your thoughts on the Starfield delay in the comment section below, and whether or not you think the delay is a detrimental detrimental negative impact on Microsoft's 2023, or if you are okay with just waiting a couple of more months for what could be the genre-defining RPG of the year, if not the generation. And until next time, continue to embrace the hate.